Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, and welcome to Bitches on Comics. I am Monica Estrella Negra, and I am just one of the lovely hosts of this magnanimous... Wait, is that? am I using that word in the right way? <laughs> I don't think so. Magnificent? No, it's another word. I don't know, Magnum. whatever. It doesn't matter. Words are fake. English is fake. <laughs> English doesn't even exist. It's just a series of gibberish like comprised of other languages that probably make way more sense than whatever because it's from England, and England isn't even a real place. But anyway, I digress. We're starting with a little a little decolonial theory to kick off the episode. <laughs> I am also joined here today with another lovely host, who is Essie Flinor. And I can barely hold it together because Monica is already being so funny, so delightful. So happy to be here with you, Monica. Woo, woo, woo. And I... Uh, I feel really lucky because I get to introduce our amazing guest today, which is the lovely Amy Chu. Hi, Amy. How you doing? Oh, hi. No, I'm the lucky one. I'm, I'm so happy to be back. Yay. Yes, I'm, I'm delighted to have you back with us. Um, you know, I just, I've, oh my God, my brain went in four directions and I'm just, I got all like turned around and just like, oh, I'm just, I'm just so excited. Okay. So Amy. Breathe, breathe, <laughs> breathe. <laughs> Amy, will you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself? Oh, a little bit. Of, well, let's see. I'm I'm a writer. Um, I, uh, I I write for a living. I write for a living now. So that's kind of like, a, I guess, a little bit of a dream, right? You know, pays the bills. Get to multitask every single day. <laughs> Maybe that part's not as much the dream, but the but living yeah. off of writing, pretty cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. If you could call it living, it's. A <laughs> <laughs> finding a way at times through writing perhaps yeah yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of multitasking yeah yes. I mean I write you know mostly I think most people know I, I write mostly comics although more recently I've been doing a little bit more animation and stuff so that's kind of cool Yes, I, I'm really excited to hear a little bit more about that um, as we get into the interview. Listeners, if you noticed, uh, Amy did mention that she's been on the pod before. She was on episode 37, Did You Read the Comic? And <laughs> that is an amazing chat. We get into talking about Red Sonia, po- Poison Ivy, your background, all of the amazing pieces of your career that have sort of led up to this point. And today we get to talk about even more stuff because as you say, you are constantly multitasking. So you have have so much going on. Yeah, and I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I would I imagine so. I imagine so. Yeah, it sounds glamorous maybe to some people, but you know, we still gotta do the dishes, throw out the garbage, you know, run to Trader Joe's, otherwise we starve, you know. Mm-hmm. I know that all too well. <laughs> I am not good at those parts of life. I'll just say that right there. That is I often find my refrigerator completely empty and I'm like, wow. Oh, no, my refrigerator is full, but it's full of, I mean, if you're into horror, I mean, there's stuff in the fridge. Um, 
not quite sure what's going on there, but you know. Oh, it's like his own little <laughs> biome now. Oh yes, yes. There's there like, is a there's a multiverse in there that I'm not sure I want to explore. Mm, I've been there. <laughs> I've been there. The fun part is when you start to clean it out and then you see that there's just been like a growth of something in some Tupperware that you wondered where it went, maybe like a year ago. <laughs> in my house, I think the the strangest part is like we have a kind of a shelf where it's things I'm not allowed to touch because my beautiful wife is a gardener and so saves her own seeds. And so there's certain things where the seeds are only viable if you let them rot. And so like there's oh. a bunch of rotting tomatoes, but it's a, it's officially allowed <laughs> because it's for the seed saving. So I'm trying to be on board, but I'll be real. I don't love it. I don't love it. Well, I'm going to pretend that's what it's about. It's seed saving. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. No notes. No notes, save. of course. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the, the comics we're here to talk about today, which I, I will just start, you know, why not, with is the House of Slay, which is this incredibly cool comic. You are, you've been, uh, you wrote the first issue of season two. And one of the subtitles, are, you know, one of the descriptors of House of Slay is that it's inspired by the lives and likenesses of these five folks who are in fashion. And then this is their sort of superhero alter egos. And I did not know what to do with that. I was like, that is really interesting. I've never thought about taking real people to do this with. And then it's delightful. It is so much fun. So Amy, tell me, how did you get involved with the project? What made you want to work on it? And yeah, that's a good place to start, I think. Well, you know, so it's super interesting um, that it's so rare when like all the pieces of my life, my former life and everything comes together. And it it really doesn't happen very often, but uh, House of Slay is exactly that. Um, Because, right, it it, it is a, um, as you said, it's a comic on top of, I think it's also on Webtoons too, but um, that it's really, and again, it's based on, um, five, how do I call them? I guess they're really API celebrities in fashion. Um, and um, not that it was, uh, my life was, actually, no, what am I saying? My, I, I did have that. Uh, so prior to comics, I was very involved in Asian American activism. Um, and uh, so a few of these names were already well known to me. In fact, I had already met Philip Lim for, at a charity event. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it's pretty inspirational too, because they're, they're very active. Now, I mean, it's very easy to say, oh, these people with fabulous lives are so frivolous, but they were actually, um, quite active, especially in the, uh, uh, stop, you know, anti-Asian, uh, hate. And, um, and, uh, in a world of influencers, that's extremely important. And so mm-hmm. when they reached out and said, Hey, you know, uh, are you interested? Obviously I jumped at it because, uh, it's a world that's known to me. And I have to say, um, I'm probably the only comics creator that has all that clothing in my closet. <laughs> so it's not stuff I wear to comic cons, to be honest. You know, I do have some problem growing as well. But, and I actually, I've worn it to uh, teach at the Cuber school occasionally, but nobody asked me, Oh, which designer is that? You know, um, I, that's like my, my, my secret identity. I, I do, <laughs> I do like my clothes. Um, so right. It's, it's really not very often that all that stuff comes together. Right. Nobody at uh, San Diego or New York is like, Hey, what are you wearing today? You know? Mm. <laughs> yeah. That would be a, that'd be interesting if they were though. Um, yeah. That's amazing. I can't believe you actually met you said it was Jim, is that right? Oh no, Before Phil Philip. Philip Lim. Philip. Yeah, and I have to Lim. think, um 
Philip Lim. Yeah, he, I mean, a lot of it's very popular um, uh, label. So I, I, I pride myself as like a lot of geeks do, right, in knowing more of the esoteric names too. But in this <laughs> case, fashion and especially my um right i mean i'm always trying to support asian american creators and so probably gurung uh, is a nepalese american and i remember when his stuff came, first came out michelle obama was wearing his stuff and i was like i gotta go get some of this stuff right and i went into the store and they looked at me blankly and i'm like how can you not know who he is it was, it was infuriating you know um, you know, so I, I do think it's very important if we can to support these creators and so i, I actually do know uh quite a few of the names, um, you know, back, back when it was more important in my life. <laughs> well, I think that's so interesting because it's, it's like playing in a, you know, I've heard a lot of comic creators talk about like, oh, I get to go and play in the sandbox, DC, Marvel, what have you. And it's like playing in a, a sandbox with like people you, you know, like people who are real. And I'm, I'm curious how okay, you Okay, that's weird. That. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. part's Super kind of weird. weird. Uh, is it a first? Let me think about this. Um, I guess it is a first in that I have done stuff with. No, you know what? I did. Um, I did do a project with real people before for the New York Historical Society, and it was really talking about Chinese American immigration, the history of Chinese American immigration, and the story revolved around a real family. Right. And it mm. is just purely by coincidence that I knew that family. It was so weird. I was oh, like, wow. I showed up at the meeting and uh, Amy Chin looks at me like, what are you what are you doing here? I'm like, wait, you're the family. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I have done this before, but not in the way that, you know, that uh, when we talk about real people, there's also, you know, uh, kind of like. Uh, social media persona, and that's different, right? Mm. You know, when you have a, a, a de- not just designer, uh, real people, but you also have a kind of brand associated with you. So that that is definitely different. You know, you were talking about how the people that are, you know, the, the faces and likenesses <laughs> are the House of Slay about how they're really active in, in activism. And that comes through so much in in the comic you wrote. And I'm, you know, I I thought that was so nice to see superheroes who were talking about hate, racism, talking about the world needing more than just superpowers. And I've, I've read a couple things that go there, but I thought that was pretty neat. And I'm curious for you, what what were you wanting to explore through the superhero lens in in doing that? Well, so I, I there when we talk about, um, I think part of it was also right. What works with their personalities, which are really fun. Um, but also trying to expand the definition of what they're about. And the because the first season, and hopefully everyone read that, you know, the, and I think the impetus, of course, was really responding to the rise in um, uh, uh, anti-Asian hate, right? Or And, and it's, um, so I thought, well, we need to expand it to include all things, because what's also behind that, it's not just xenophobia, but the, the sort of... Um, um, uh, you know, tropes, stereotypes. And so, of course, I was sort of uh, in, in really also, this is right. I was, you know, I just came out of like two writers rooms where, you know, I'm working with TV writers. And so, of course, I'm looking naturally at Hollywood. And I thought, oh, well, this would be a great opportunity to sort of 
explore that and also get them out in New York and take them to the West Coast. So there's a lot of ulterior motives for me, but I also did want to really go there because, right, we don't want to do season after season or just say, you know, on the same theme, but really try to expand and, and get people to think in different ways. But also look at, um, um, you know, th- things like allyship and stuff like that. I really wanted to expand on that. There's a lot, I know. And um, and still make just, it fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, like, so how did you approach it by, you know, because it's like a very heavy like discussion, or it can be a very heavy discussion yeah, when we yeah. talk about the different types of oppression that people of color face, that Black people face. Right. But when we try to uh, translate that into our art, like, did you have to find a particular rhythm and trying to make it a bit more digestible? I guess um, no, because I mean, I know. Look, I am. I'm not. Here, I'm not here to lecture. I'm here to entertain and hopefully educate. And so. Um, uh, that's just part of the deal, right? Because, um, you know, I, I didn't, it's not like people say, okay, you have to do it this way or that way. I have to find find a good way into the story um, that works with the tone and everything, but also their personalities. Their personalities are larger than life and really fun. And, and they also have, it's like, you know, you sort of extrapolate from, from what you see that they present is to really try to present them as, as, as a team so it is like writing, you know, like, you know, a, a, any ensemble like Avengers X-Men is that you have to find your way into the story of how they work, their personalities to compare, contrast, and also develop character arts, arcs for each of them and build the story that way. So it's, it, it really is challenging. Absolutely right. You just kind of have to figure out, well, where do we go with this and, and make it a good story and make mm-hmm. it fun and make yeah. people feel like, oh, I got something out of it. But I was also yeah. entertained, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's why I'm so tired all the time. Because your brain is working overtime. Yeah, it's like a Rubik's Cube. (laughs) It's like a Rubik's Cube, except the Rubik's Cube has to be different every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when creating those character arcs, I'm I'm interested to know, like, what your process is uh, with that, Um, like, as far as your influences or, like, personality traits. Like, are you into astrology at all, just out of curiosity? I am so not into I get them all confused. And I'm also Chinese-American, <laughs> right? So there's Chinese, Chinese astrology, right? Mm-hmm. So there's all mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I vaguely know things, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like this year is the year of the rabbit. My grandfather was born in the year of the rabbit. Mm-hmm. But what that all means, you know, I'll, I'll just make it up. <laughs> What'd you say it goes? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I think about, cause I'm also a writer. When I think about char- character arcs, I borrow a lot from the people that I've met in my, mm-hmm. in my life. Um, and like each character that I do have just have like these little traits of like people that I remember that I, I maybe journaled about or just like very oh, interesting right. people that I've met um, who yeah. have like very like the way that they uh, drank water or the way that they dressed or like Mm -hmm. the way that they moved their hands. Like, I feel like I've always like picked and shoes like, you know, these little traits in order to create like a whole person. So I think that's more of my question, like as far as like creating like those arcs and like their uh, more specific like personality traits. Well, in in this case, you know, because they're real, um, Mm -hmm. that it's really just trying to make sure I'm interpreting correctly who they are, Mm -hmm. you know, what their personalities are. More mm-hmm. importantly, I hope they're not listening to this, right? <laughs> you know, they're, 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 they, all, they all have flaws. That's very readily apparent, at least to me, you know, mm-hmm. just going through, you know, like a, like a weirdo stalker through their Instagrams, right? <laughs> you know, uh, just trying to 
try to figure out in their interactions what their insecurities might be and stuff like actually they did they in fact they did write out some stuff beforehand too but really just trying to get to that need of it when they're together how do they interact and what you know, uh, in getting like, right, like Ezra's insecurities and trying to get an arc there that makes him feel like he's more of the team at the end kind of stuff, right? It's like it, mm-hmm. everyone's got to go somewhere in a story, mm-hmm. you know, even the villains have to go somewhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Did you feel nervous about like that process and what they may think? Yeah, absolutely. But at a certain point, you just got to let it go, right? Um, right. You know, if the story works and the overall mission works to me, um, I, I think I'm I'm clear. You know, so you know, what can one do? It's very it's very tricky. I'm not I'm not like a, you know um, a royal uh, biographer by any means. You know, so it's, it's a little <laughs> different, right? <laughs> we we already understand that our mission is part fictionalized. We all understand mm-hmm. that they are, but they're not real people. This is their fictionalized self. So I have a little mm-hmm. bit right. more latitude, you know? Absolutely. So if somebody's yeah. like, hey, I'd be like, well, yeah, yeah, but this is your superhero self, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, you talked about the fun and about creating the group dynamic. And I think that's part of what made House of Slay so freaking delightful is that it's a superhero team up, but it's like between besties, you know? Like that felt so interesting to see that the dynamics, the jokes that sort of went back and forth between people, the shared understandings of what the world is like. And, you know, I'm I'm guessing that you have some good friendships. And I think I just want to talk about how do we portray friendship in comics and how do we, you know, investigate those highs and lows and what is important to you as a creator when you are investigating friendship? Yeah, I think this is also part, because I get asked a, a, a lot about, you know, process, and and, and I really do believe that I, I would have, I'm a much better writer now, uh, you know, now that I've had more years of experience, friendships, and that kind of thing. It's very hard to write if you don't, you know, if you're going to write about being besties, you need to have a little experience with besties, you know? <laughs> So, you know, like what I'm trying to say is like when I was 19, I, I'm not sure I could write stories like this, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of that. And it's also, you know, with almost with any story, no matter what it is, you kind of have to put some of yourself in there. And um, I think as Monica was saying, some of your people that you know in there. So there's a little bit of all that. And hopefully it makes it relatable and hopefully it makes people, you know, like, yeah, they can feel themselves and their friends and and the conflicts and the jokes and all that stuff. Right. So, and then hopefully you also get to go to LA and just go to like some swanky parties and stuff. And hopefully it's not full of cultists. (laughs) You know, it was a fun twist though. It was fun to, to get to explore that sort of, um, you know, LA's CD underbelly is like very shiny. You know, it's like a very, it's yeah. not actually an underbelly. It's like maybe they're like their face. I don't, I'm not sure. But it's really interesting to see that explored through this sort of, oh, these are really creepy rich people. Like this, yeah, is, yeah, this is bad right? news. Yeah. And, and that was also influenced because like I said, I, 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 I started, I started writing for TV and I had to go to LA and I'm like, oh, I'm in LA. And I'm like, oh, what the heck? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some oh, some of the culture and the lifestyle is different. I do regard myself. I've spent a good majority of my adult years as a New Yorker, right? And to go to the West Coast, it's like 
Oh, it's a, it is a different culture and there's a very, you know, shiny cars, shiny people, you know, designer handbags and, you know, great place if you are a designer and, you know, you need people to buy your stuff. You, you should be out there. <laughs> yeah, I go to LA probably a little more than I would on my own and I'm always struck by, oh, okay. Right, I've right, right. Been. I'm in California. Oh, oh my gosh. Been. The I've cars are so clean, you know? <laughs> and there are Everyone, so many of them. You got you, you to gotta valet your car. You got to like, you know, make sure you got your sunglasses with you. I definitely <laughs> pack nicer clothes. Um, first time I went, I took the bus and people were like, you did, I'm sorry, you did what? I'm like, I'm from New York. The bus is there. What, what's, what's so weird about that? There was absolute shock. Is it because it takes, uh, I've heard like the cliche that it takes like an hour to get anywhere or something? No, people are just, it's such a car culture, right? Uh, it turned out the most uh, efficient way for me to get to the writer's room was literally going on the bus because it was a straight shot down and people are like, mm-hmm. still like, I'm, right? I'm like, it's the cheapest and it's the fastest. Why would I not take the bus? <laughs> it's also more environmentally friendly. Exactly. I thought this was California. Another point for buses. Right. Just and that's why I was like, okay, this is so right. There's a little bit of hypocrisy around that, right? You y'all are trying to do this green stuff, yet everyone's driving their individual cars. And I think it's it is a cultural thing. It's just like so ingrained that that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. Like so if you live never... in LA, go to hell. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've just never had a desire to go there. I've always, when I was a kid, I was always like obsessed with the East Coast. And then I moved to Philly and I love Philly. Um, and yeah, I just like never, yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah. I, I can't even explain it. I guess it's because there's like this uh, superficiality that kind of, like yeah and I I I'm, I want to correct something because we were talking about that part and I hope some of it came out more in my story because I also re- recognize there's some of that but also recognizing that it is a very uh diverse population exactly, yeah. and that's yeah. what I was trying to put in there because I knew it was like if I just focus on the Hollywood glam that is not correct I was trying mm-hmm. to Try to also incorporate, right, the, um, and the, this is a character, Mel, who is the aspiring, or not, she wasn't even aspiring, she was making it happen, her, the filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, love and, Mel. Right, and so I was like, there, this, so I was trying to represent some of that diversity of mm-hmm. the culture there, and um, uh, actually, part of my childhood, I did, I spent like five, four years in the LA area, this is like, you know, in grade school, Mm-hmm. Um, but it was such a long time ago. And, and, and then where I grew up kind of got swallowed up by L.A. in that mm-hmm. way. And so mm-hmm. I sort of dimly recall stuff like smog. It was very smoggy then, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, and palm trees. But it wasn't glamorous at all. It was very gritty, mm-hmm. very gritty. Mm-hmm. And also by taking the bus, right? Because the other thing, too, about taking the bus is you see a lot more of real L.A. It's mm-hmm. a real classist thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think people, part of the reason why people drive is also, um, you know, the people who take the bus are very much uh, people who don't have cars. So there's like, it's like, oh, I don't want to, you know, right? It's very weird. Like in New York, like a lot of people don't even drive, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't need to. Um, so, uh, I did enjoy taking the bus, even though sometimes it's a challenge, just like in New York, you have people who are shouting, uh, you know, uh, but it overall was very, it was, it, it was a good experience. Um, and I have a lot more respect for LA. I'm sure you have, uh, listeners who, who are from LA. Um, 
I have a lot more respect for um, understanding. I have to, too, first of all, because so much of an entertainment. Uh, and I hope, hopefully, some. I, I was also trying to do while When you get the, the, the steering wheel of a story, and I, I try to throw in a lot of stuff, right? Because uh, mm. I want to do the shout out to James Hong. They finally mm-hmm. got his star, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a lot of uh, under underrepresentation of. Mm-hmm. Um, portrayals of Asian Americans, AAPI in, in, in uh, media. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we need to give someone like James Hong his due, right? Mm-hmm. So I threw that in. I'm happy they didn't take that out, you know. Uh, I, I ramble now. I'm rambling now. I no, we love when saying, you ramble. You always share yeah. amazing things when you ramble. <laughs> I, 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 it, you know, I really enjoy my time just exploring and getting more of a feel. Because I was like, you know, I'm not anti-LA. I just don't like cars. I hate cars. Right. Yeah, and, I think LA is one of those places where it's like the stereotypes of it are true to an extent. And then there's a much wider place of LA, right? It's huge. That is, like you were saying, incredibly diverse. A, yeah. a, a place where people can be around many people who are like them, around many people who are not like right, them. It's a right. place where it, queer culture has Absolutely. If you restrict yourself to like Beverly Hills Rodeo Drive, you're only going to see exactly right. Exactly. And there's something LA. Yeah. So there's a lot. There's a lot to be covered there. Um, (laughs) And in House of Slay, that's what I thought was so fun is we got to see those different pieces of LA. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, now I'm picturing you on a bus, and I'm like, oh, you had to be on that bus so you could write House of Slay. Kind of. Cool. That's that's how things end up, right? I was on the bus and their subway, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this, I'm still and I'm encouraging people, hey, in LA, you can do this, <laughs> you know? Get on the bus, go on the subway. I think some people know that too. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, it's definitely not the norm. You know, as as we're talking about LA and you've talked about your writer, the writer's room you were in for Dragon's Blood, is that correct? Uh, Dota Dragon's Blood, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dota Dragon's Blood. I wasn't sure if Dota was an acronym, so I was like, I'll just skip it. Well, it okay. is, it is, but you know, nobody really is defense of the ancients with Dota. Oh, you know, from the, the game. from the video game. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. So it's from the video game Dota. Yeah. Oh, my brain did not fully connect that. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that experience was like. What what sort of how what skill sets transferred? What, what did you have to develop any new skill sets for being oh, in, sure. a, in a writer's room? I would love to hear. It's about pretty that. awesome. Um, I, I must say, I'm a big fan of the writer's room because you're writing comics or, or a lot of other things, right? You're just by yourself. That's why I'm so tired. You know, you're just by yourself trying to figure out these problems, how to solve the problems in your script and the plot and everything. When you're in a writer's room, it's a whole bunch of brains that combine like the Borg and then you attack it together. So, you know, there's something to be said for that. You know, but you also have to be kind of good with people with that, right? You can't be just like, hey, it's my way or the highway or, you know, super introverted that you feel like you can't participate. It does involve, you know, some team skills in doing that. Yeah, everyone I know who's done a writer's room is just like, yeah, it's so nice not to be alone in a room forcing words out of my head. I got to do it with other people. Yeah, and you um, get you get fed too. That's not like the norm. I'm like, what? We get we'll lunch? This is awesome. <laughs> they feed you too? Yeah, you get <laughs> snacks too. Unfortunately, you end up spending a lot of time trying to figure out what to pick up for lunch. And then it's like, ooh, snacks. Ooh, let's go for a walk and uh, get some coffee. <laughs> So like, then this in terms is awesome. Of, that's where the <laughs> ideas are born, right? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Through food and coffee. 
I was very much like, ooh, we get cashews? It's not even just peanuts. We get cashews. (laughs) On Netflix's dime, this is awesome. (laughs) That's so funny. That's amazing. I'm curious too, you know, when we think about those translating of skills, you know, moving from comics to animation, you know, did you feel like that you were really well prepared for it? Was there a learning curve? What was that experience like? Oh, all, all of the above. I was, and one, in one sense, it is a lot easier, I think, because uh, a comic script is very similar. And also the way, uh, you know, you come up with story and there's a lot of similarities. Um, and I think it's, in my, in my view, this is my opinion, that it's easier to go from comics to TV or animation and not the other way around. Because we're, we're going from extreme constraints, right? We don't get sound. We don't get motion, right? Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, we, we got time. We got motion. We've got, you know, um, soundtrack. That's, that's like all great, you know? Suddenly you can do more with the story. Um, so there's a little bit of learning curve there. Uh, to me, those are a little bit more of the bells and whistles, right? Because the fundamental story, pacing structure is uh, still the same, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. the difference is, uh, uh, and this took a little bit of work on my part, too, that formatting in that world is super important. It's very strict, right? Comics, we can be a lot loosey-goosey in terms of when we put together a scripts, there's still a format, but it's nowhere near as um, strict as when you get into, you know, film and TV, very, very much like, you know, you don't monkey around with font, the font sizes, all that stuff. That's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, I got, I got yelled at for uh, punctuation, you know, because voice acts. So this is what I did not understand, right? Comics, when we write, we're really writing for uh, the artist and the letterer and and to a certain degree, the, the editor, of course, right? Um, but when you're writing for film and TV, the dialogue, you're writing for the actor and the voice actor. They're the ones who are reading that part. So if you do too much punctuation, you're literally telling the actor what to do. And they don't like that. Yeah, I remembered learning that in my, my screenwriting class. And I was like, okay, so I can't give too much to the director. I can't give too much to the actor, and it has to all be very visual. This is a very different like skill set than short story writing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's still still similar enough to comics that I'm okay with it. But it's just like, oh, okay. Uh, I'll just take out the exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Was um, not a big deal to me. I understand the rationale. I'll take that totally. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like when you're working in a format and there's rules. It's like, oh, okay, fine. Okay, Mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. Yeah, but in other words, super cool. I'm exceptionally lucky to be able to do that. It's it's not, you know, not stuff like that doesn't just happen, you know, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, at my age. (laughs) So it's like, or anybody, right? These are the things that, you know, a lot of people never even get that break. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I want to, you know, it was all because of Red Sonia, honestly. So that that really was very lucky. Mm. The showrunner liked my Red Sonia run. Well, you uh, Red Sonia rules, the so they must have amazing taste. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, it was. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was just like this. This, this my my life. I don't know what's happening in my life anymore. You know, mm. <laughs> other than I'm very tired. <laughs> in a good way i'm i'm complaining i'm not complaining right no if you're tired you're tired <laughs> yeah i'm t- i'm tired cuz my brain is like it's like it's you know it's it's gone in multiple directions right i'm, I'm cuz i'm i 
you know, this is the other thing. You kind of have to multitask because everything is at different stages. And I, I, again, I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm not complaining, right? I can't tell you what it is, but I got a new project for a character I never thought I would get to write. So I want to do a good job on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, then they're like, oh, well, you know, the art, artist seems to be going at a much faster pace than we thought. So uh, can you get the second script ready? I'm like, whoa, wait, hold on. <laughs> so I got I to gotta crank on that too. Well, you know, I would love to hear about and, and you can be like, what process? I would love to know about how do you manage bouncing through different projects at different phases? Is there, do you like dedicate certain time to different things? Is it really deadline driven? I would love to oh, just I, peek inside your brain. This is particular to, to me. I'm very deadline driven. You got to give me a deadline. If you don't give me a deadline, right? Whatever, whatever's most important comes first. I, I say that loosely too, because sometimes, you know, when you're working on something that is really technically not due, but you're kind of in the flow, then I just I just stay there and I go with it. Um, so I've learned, you know, there's one thing I've learned too is that if you switch too much, um, and th- there are actually studies about this, uh, I learned this in business school, that there is a switching cost, right? When you are interrupted and you have to switch to another task, it actually takes you much longer to get back to the first task. So... You know, if you're going to be super efficient, it's best to try to stay on one task as long as possible. Um, so I've been trying to do that, but sometimes that just doesn't work because, you know, in reality, you get an email saying, hey, how's this going? What's going on with this? Right. You got to switch. Um, but the best thing to do is to try to minimize interruptions. Um, and, and so my, my, my general approach is uh, I, I start with a thing that needs to get done first. I stay with it as long as possible, but... Um, if I get stuck, that's usually when I switch. If I'm stuck on one, I'll switch to the other script. I'll work on that for a while. And of course, uh, I'll, I'll sort of maybe go to the refrigerator. But now that it's full of toxins, I don't I don't really go there as often, <laughs> right? Um, so go maybe I'll go out. Check I'll go, your seeds. <laughs> yeah, I'll go uh, do, do a coffee run, come back, avoid the refrigerator and, you know, sw- switch to another script. Um, so that, that's generally how I work it. It's not like I do all of them at once. I'm not like, you know, a super brain like that. I'm not like, uh, um, you know, some huge cloud computing server. Um, mm. I, I'll focus on one and, um, Usually the, t- the, the, if it's like in the outline stage, that's the easiest. I just, I'll start with the outline. I'll start breaking it down, breaking it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more granular we get or I get, then, um, yeah, I, I gotta, we'll stop. Maybe, uh, I, sometimes I need to go for a walk just to sort of, um, you know, jog my brain in different directions and then I'll, I'll go back at it. But, you know, typically I'll have to tackle it from different angles, um, <laughs> It's it's not it's not too, very rigorous. It's not like okay, one hour on this, three hours on that. It's just uh, I, I have a good feeling by now where I need to get. Usually, it's like okay, let me finish this outline, and I'm gonna need I don't know four hours to get this outline done. And um, you know, hopefully, it, I I I hit that mark, and that's when I'll switch to another script and say, okay, now I need to work on the dialogue for this or. Um, Let's see, in this case, like after we finish here, I'm going to go back to this other uh, Marvel digital comic and I'm going to break out um, because, you know, my process, I almost always go to the end first. I'll I'll work on the end first and I got to go backwards. So in this case, I got to work on the middle because the middle is kind of fuzzy, you know, 
And if I don't fix it now, I'm going to have trouble later on. So mm. but that's going to be my, my focus tonight. Got to make sense. It's got to make sense. So, so then it, a lot of it is, um, you know, it's not really even, even inhabiting my brain. It's inhabiting the brain of that character. And so I have to go full on villain mode tonight, right? <laughs> the, the, right. The, the protagonist I got all worked out. But the mm-hmm. antagonist, it's like, what is this freaking motivation? This makes no sense. We know what mm-hmm. he does because he's the villain. But it's like, mm-hmm. why is he really doing it? And mm-hmm. so I had to spend some time on that. Very nice. It's almost like method acting. Yeah, it is. It's so tiring because of that. It's like, yeah, this character is just like a new character to me. I'm like, okay, I mean, I, I can do villain. And uh, fortunately, it's an arrogant nerd villain, and I can—I know—I I know plenty of those. So look, I just need to figure out who, what megalomaniac, arrogant nerd can I think of that I might just be able to pull some traits out of, and then I could figure out. Well, why is he doing that? Oh, you know what? Sheer ego—that's what it is. Thank you, guys. I got—I—I I, I cracked it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, listeners. You often hear from us about how you can support us, and typically that's with money, money, money. And hey, listen, if you got that money burning a hole in your pocket... Join us at patreon.com slash queerspec. But did you know you can also do something that's pretty much free? It takes some of your time. Your time has value. I see you. But you can rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us five stars. Write something funny like, these bitches are so fucking cool. Whatever feels right to you. And then we will get closer to the people who need to find us. People are out there. They're desperate for the bitches. They're desperate. And you can help us reach them. Just make sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been sort of like, I didn't want us to only talk about this next book we're going to talk about, but I can't wait to talk about. So, oh my God, you have this beautiful Carmilla adaptation with Sue Lee that is just, it's so beautiful. It's so haunting. It's so creepy. It's so hot. It is, it's so so 90s. It's all of the things, and and I, I don't think I ha- I don't have a starting question. I'm just like Amy, how? Which I feel like is not the best question. <laughs> but I would love to hear about how you decided to adapt Carmilla. Um, you know, and again, it's just one of those things which just starts taking on a life. Whereas, like, I read it, and I'm like, and I I was just like, how is this not right? You have. Public domain for such a long time, right? We're talking 19th century, mm-hmm. and still pretty readable, except for the end. I was like, mm, "That's weird." Okay, but the overall thing, I'm like, I, I read some descriptions of Carmilla, where people are kind of like, "Yes," and it's got some queer overtones or some lesbian. I'm like, "No, it is. It is." Have you guys not read it? It's like you know, these are two girls in love, and you know all the stuff. It was just so weird that people sort of danced around the issue. Um, and uh, so I, I pitched it to Karen, 
Berger at San Diego Comic-Con. Because she was like, do you have any ideas? I'm like, well, I have, because it, it, it also bothered me, right? Is that when we talk about vampires, we automatically think of Dracula. And I was like, uh, Dracula was very clearly based on Carmilla. Carmilla came first. Why are we not talking about Carmilla? Oh, female vampire. Okay, well, you know, take it for what it is. I just really wanted to pursue that. Yeah, so it was just bothering me. I was like, I, I can do something with this. And Karen literally is like, vampires, huh? First of all, she had not known about it. I was like, no, you, did you know? Carmilla preceded Dracula by a couple decades. And that's when she got interested, right? And uh, so that's how it started. So, you know, you're off to the races when someone like Karen Berger is like, okay, let's 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 come up with a pitch, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I love this like dual sort of wonder and sort of frustration as a motivation of like, oh my gosh, it's it's here. It's real. This is so cool. Also, why are we only talking about Dracula? And it's like, yes, exactly. Carmilla is such an amazing original story. I've, I enjoyed many of the adaptations. There was this web series that was Carmilla that was really cute. And then they had a movie that I haven't gotten to yet. Please don't cancel me, lesbians. I love you. Um, and I I just felt like this comic was so unique and so much a body of that Carmilla work. And that felt... I think that's a hard line to walk is to take something and make it new and original. And I think, you know, to be fair, is that not a lot of writing legacy characters in comics? You've clearly been doing that for a while. But I'm, I, you know, working with such an old character, I'm curious for you when you were like, okay, I'm going to make my version of Carmilla. What were the pieces that you were like, okay, this absolutely must remain the same? And then how did you decide what you needed to absolutely change? Okay, so it's not like I, I don't even know that I really changed anything because what I'm doing is uh, taking into a present day. So, yeah, it's um, and also right there the the device which uh, Karen was absolutely ecstatic. I said, well, it is public domain, so I can incorporate original text in this story. So it's there's a little bit of meta, right? Is that we're reading some of the original text in the new story? So. I'm such a nerd. I was like, yum, 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 more of this, Amy. It was just, it was such a nerdy, fun book thing to do. It was really delightful. I I, I do like doing nerdy things, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it, so incorporating some of that was a, you know, uh, it's a challenge, right? To also make it make sense. And first of all, all that stuff you know, you always have to put a little bit of yourself in every book, you know, and this was probably my most, uh, how can I say, most personal, right? In that, um, you know, it's uh, a lot of it is set in New York City, Chinatown, which I, I knew quite well. And, you know, 90s was a great, I say great, interesting time in New York, right? And so uh, it just seemed like the right thing to do to set it at that time. Because first of all, it's so hard to set stories now when everyone's got a smartphone. I think of it from a vampire's perspective, right? I mean, you can't go around killing people. Everyone's got smartphones. They can track you. They can take pictures of you. Much easier to do that when people still really only have mostly pagers and stuff. So, you know. So you actually brought it up. Um, I was going to say that when I was reading it, I definitely felt that you were inserting bits and pieces of like your own memory of like the city and space and like what you experienced growing up in New York City into the story. And I just admired that a lot because I love it when artists like kind of infiltrate like 
you know, stories to just like put in their like own fragmented like memories to like exist alongside these other characters that they like created. And I think it's just amazing how you did that. Um, I think when you were talking about like how gentrification like set into Chinatown and like how things just slowly started to shift around you and how the familiar was turning into like this complete like monstrosity of like capitalism and pretty much modern day colonialism in essence. Right. It's just all Gap and Victoria's Secret, you know? Yeah. Um, in Chinatown, you've got, like, uh, I mean, Chinatown has been still somewhat resilient, but absolutely, you know, right? It's And so many neighborhoods have been, I mean, people have been pushed out. And, um, I, you know, these are the things I always feel like, well, I, I'm, I'm given the opportunity as a writer, you know, why not highlight these things for people? It's super annoying when people talk about Chinatown. It's like, oh, it's a tourist destination where we just eat and buy fake bags. There's nothing more irritating to not think of, you know, it's a community of people with history. Mm-hmm. And even just the whole issue of, right, uh, I think somebody asked me, well, why, why was Athena a social worker as if there weren't, you know, uh, Asian American social workers, right? I know plenty of them. So I had, felt like it's important to represent people I know doing things, you know, that we don't necessarily see reflected, even on TV, Jesus, right? I mean, you, 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 there's a long period of history where Asians were the butt of jokes, right? This whole mm-hmm. uh, everything, everywhere, all at once kind of stuff is fairly new. Everything before that, you still get, I mean, ugh, look at this like whole Justin Roiland shit show with his racist texts, right? I mean, it's just... You still have the long, long duck dong, you know, mm-hmm. specter hanging over everything. So it's super annoying. And I'm just like, well, I have this opportunity, um, you know, because Karen wasn't like, oh, let's make this a Chinese American experience. I was the mm-hmm. one that did that. I was like, oh, well, you know, what, what would be an interesting take on Carmilla? I'm like, well, she comes to New York. She's going to come to New York. Where am I going to put her? Upper East Side, you know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> It's it's not my experience. I could certainly write her up there. In fact, I did mm-hmm. originally put her mansion up there, but I'm like, ah, oh, makes more sense. Let's put her in the village, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- so there was some of that. Yeah, and I think I really identified uh, with Athena because I used to be a social worker. Oh, back in Philly, and I actually uh, left the profession because um, I lost three clients back to back, and. Just that feeling of wanting to save everyone. Um, I think it was like the scene uh, where they're um, she's watching the news and um, their partner's like, why are we watching this? Just like, that was my client that died, you know? And that I just like, that just like really resonated with me um, as far as like going on like this quest to like figure out like how you can help those who are most vulnerable. Um, so I just want to give you kudos on that. Oh, thank you. Oh my gosh, that means a lot. Because, you know, I, I always get very nervous in that, okay, I don't want anyone to be taken out of the store and say, oh, no, that's not how how, how it happens or how it works or, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I didn't want her to, also, I didn't want her to be super jaded, you know, that she still has Absolutely. all this idealism and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's a little bit of her, or it's, it's her weakness too, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. we do have to have... Um, we have to create these these uh, protections for ourselves too, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And she's not she's not good at that yet, at least. So, <laughs> well, you know what I I think what I loved about Athena so much is that at the same time that she is this incredible person, I think that's undeniable. She yeah. also is you know drawn in by you know a mysterious 
Violet, is that right? Is that what we? Heard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So she's 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 uh she's sucked in and uh and she she does she makes huge mistakes. She does terrible. Mm-hmm. But th- this is the thing: we're all human. We all make mistakes. And I think it's a really boring story if you're just perfect or close to perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's you know so that there is there is some of that right personal feeling like yeah i mean i've 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 done my share of mistakes you know not necessarily you know um falling in with a vampire but you know this stuff. <laughs> Not far off. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I loved that. I thought that, you know, there's so much pressure on queer characters, particularly queer characters of color, to be perfect, right? Like, these are perfect representation. And I think a lot of us are sick of representation being the only thing we're allowed to strive for or reach for. And it was nice to see someone do things my my friends have done, I have done. People have hurt each other, right? And and in non-supernatural settings, as well as right. in this case, a supernatural setting. And that felt, it felt honest. And like, I loved Athena more for her mistakes. I didn't agree with her choices. I was like, you stay with the hot nurse. Like, that's always the right call. But, you know, I was, I was also like, but sexy vampire, I get it. I get it. It's right. difficult. Right, right. What I really wanted to do was depict real relationships. It's it's a fine line, right? It's like on the one hand, I I I, I want to make it real, and I don't want to sacrifice and say, okay, right? We 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 want to represent people in a, a positive light frequently if if they historically haven't been, but at the same time, it's it's got to be real story. So so it's, I'm trying to populate it for very real people um, struggling with real things and. Um, not to get tropey or whatnot. So I, I, I really tried hard to do that. Um, you know, but in the end, right, a lot of bad stuff happens. This is, this is, this is horror. This is, <laughs> right? It's definitely not Disney Pixar. Yeah, it's not pretty- a rom-com. <laughs> no, no, that, that would be different. That would be a very different story, right? So that's what we want. We want more queer, problematic rom-coms. Is that right, Essie? Is that what you were saying? Yes, that's exactly. I was, you know what? When you're right, you're right, Monica. That's exactly what I was pitching. <laughs> dead on the dead on the nail. Um, <laughs> okay, so listeners, I cannot help myself. I need to talk spoilers. So if you have not yet read Carmilla, do yourself a favor, hit pause, come back, because once you're done reading it, you're going to want to hear what we talk about next. Uh, so, you know what? I was, I was so excited, Amy, when I turned that page and, and her grandfather was like, and you're a vampire hunter from a long lineage. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Cause I was so, as much as like, yeah, a vampire story, you, it evokes that vampire hunter. You would think I was still surprised by it. It was so delightful. I thought it was so exciting. It was it was interesting to see the way that she and her grandfather bonded over that um, mm-hmm. across, you know, sort of some real difficult, <laughs> some, namely the horrifying and traumatic death of Athena's parents. You know, mm-hmm. they they connect over that time. And I'm curious, when did you decide, yeah, this Athena's got to be a, a vampire hunter? Oh, well, that was pretty early on, right? Because, you know, she's clearly the... Um protagonist and I had to work it in because uh, how else is she going to proceed in the story right mm-hmm. um, part of it is also genre speaking right it's like what, what, what's what are people going to be excited about and so it just made sense to do it that way 
Uh, but how to do it was a little bit trickier, right? Because I don't want to just start with that. And I don't want, you, you can't let it go on too late. And I'm trying to think, well, how do we do this with grandpa? And, you know, so, so all that, all that, you know. So I'm glad you liked it. It worked. Like, okay. That's all I was going to say. Yeah. Oh, okay, I mean, good, good, good. I turned good, that page and I was just like, oh, fuck, God, I should have seen it coming. Like, I, You should have seen it coming. Remember the leather jacket that Dana threw on? I know. What was I thinking, Monica? <laughs> I should have seen it coming. But that's always, to me, the best twists are ones where you're like, oh, my God, of course. But I still, uh, you know, and that's how I, I felt reading it. It just was, okay. it was so fun. And it was nice to see her and her grandfather, you know, bond more deeply and to see that actually, yes, this whole time, you know, so often when we find secret lineages in, in superhero stories or science fiction, fantasy, horror, it's like, oh, and now you're, you're like, oh, you'll have some mystical power come to you and that's how we'll even the odds. And mm-hmm. I liked that in this case, it was like, oh, I've been training you. Why do you think I taught you martial arts? And you're like, oh, oh my God, not only does it serve her well just in general, it is a huge part of why she can, you know, handle the story before her. I I was into it. I'm into it. I'm still into it. I'm going to read it again and be into it. I am so glad because, yeah, right, that kind of stuff is 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 hard to pull off. And I didn't want to start pulling out artifacts and all that stuff, right? It's it's It gets a little too too much, right? Where we haven't, I don't, I also don't have the real estate for that. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. I gotta, I gotta pack a lot of story in mm-hmm. already, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that worked. I loved it. You know, another thing that I, I just have to comment on is Sue Lee's incredible drawings, mm-hmm. just incredible illustration. Oh. I mean, yes. the wrinkles on, on Mai Tai's face, the wrinkles mm-hmm. on the grandfather's face. It was just, it felt real in a way that I was really uh, moved by. Well, her choice of colors too, like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't really have. It's not like I need to have control, right? That she's the artist, and when she started bringing, I, I see the, I see the, um, the line work come back. But when she added the colors, I'm like, oh my gosh, she got the mood perfect, right? Um, so all that is, it's that's the best part of being a writer in this, in this medium is when you get the stuff back and you're like, oh my God, this is even better than what I imagined. It's so evocative, right? The, you know, the club scenes, the, you know, every, just about everything. Yeah. It, it, I was like, is it the nineties? I feel like I just jumped right into them and I am in Chinatown in New York. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I think Carmilla is so special. I, I it's such an incredible oh, adaptation, continuation. Um, it's stunningly beautiful. It mm-hmm. is so interesting. And, you know, I, I've been thinking about how to ask this because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm worried I'm going to forget something you've written. So you will just tell me. I don't have to worry. You'll tell me. But it feels oh, like I forgot maybe... what stuff I've written. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Like, oh my God, I love this thing by you. And you're just like, oh. oh did I write that? No, because did I write that? My, I my, my brain move, has to move on to the next thing. So sometimes I forget because I'm not focused on the past. I have to focus on, you know, how do I how do I write the reveal of, you know, you're a vampire hunter and not, not yes, have people yes. be like, what? Yes, yes. Well, so I, my question was, you know, like, what was it like moving into this horror space? And then I was like, wait, I don't actually know. Have you done other horror work? So maybe that's a... Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I question. started off doing some horror with my self-published mm. stuff. So I actually did start with some horror. So it's not, it's not like that... But I'm like I like I like I like all 
genres. Almost all genres. Rom-com might be tough for me, honestly. <laughs> but, um, horror, uh, when I first started writing, I would do short stories. And I just tried everything, including horror. And I, I did really actually like uh, well, people people seem to like my horror stuff. It's just, you know, when you when you need to get paid, you know, <laughs> superhero mm-hmm. is is, you know, gives you a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you want to get into existing characters. So all that stuff. But um uh I, I started writing um some horror stories very I'll I'll send you a PDF if you want to read it. It's all my original stuff. Absolutely. Right? So, of course I do. I would love Yeah, to. I I do like that, but that's a little bit harder in terms of a pitch. So Totally. Um, I, I, and I know I know certain like I have certain fans who are like we want to see you do more horror. It's like I got to find the right right. It's, I, it's well the, this the well this counts, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I did it. I did it. <laughs> Yeah, that was my question, Essie. Oh, no, you I'm so sorry. my yeah. question. I will send you some of my early stories and you can tell me. Uh, but I like writing funny, too. I do like writing funny. Um, so, right, but part of it was just trying to flex my chops and see what I was good at and what mm-hmm. I enjoy. I mean, I grew up on sci-fi fantasy. And so I, I have a few of those stories, too. All of those are in my... Um, I have a, a little sh- short story anthology called Girls' Night Out. So that's all of those different stories. So they're all in there. Um, I, I enjoy doing just different. What I really enjoy is doing stuff with a twist, you know, the Twilight Zone uh, type of stuff where there's a story, a theme, and then there's a twist at the end. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I started practicing writing. And, um, and then I started, you know, getting longer and longer. So... <laughs> So this this worked out, but I had to think about it as like four issues, kind of the way I wrote it. Okay, very cool. I would love to read some more of your horror stuff. I I love horror and I make horror films. Um, so oh okay, I was immediately drawn in by this because I also love game uh vampires. I was about to say gay vampires, but I was like saying vampires. <laughs> automatically means that they're gay because I feel like all vampires vampires are gay but you know well for sure this was my least funny book I mean sometimes I I I sort of even read Sonia you gotta have a little humor here and there Uh, so this is probably my 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 most serious book I didn't even crack a joke anywhere did I I think so. You know, there was like, I think some, um, there's some ways that like Carmilla was kind of funny because of just how like vampire she was, like a, a clever perhaps is another way of putting it. But that was the big mm-hmm. thing I noticed is I do associate your work with being extremely funny. And oh, thank you. <laughs> so I was so like, this was such a neat tone shift. I didn't know what to expect, but the cover really got me where I was like, oh, we're going to see a different side of, of oh, yeah, Amy's that was a fantastic world. cover. Oh, what a cover. Oh, my gosh. I'm glad you think I'm funny because I was so not funny growing up. As a kid, I was just not funny at all. I, I don't know where that came from. I think, you know, I just got funnier over the years. <laughs> like a fine wine. You got funnier over yeah, the years. Yeah, yeah. You had to work to be funny. I was so not funny. You know, <laughs> I was such a serious kid. That's like hard for me to imagine. I've just read so much of your work now that I'm like, really? Wow. I am sure I was a drag to be around. I, I you know, <laughs> I was thinking about it. It's like I was not a funny person. I was not I was not even not a funny fun person, a fun or funny, you know. <laughs> I was such a bookworm, I was such a book nerd. I, was, I did nothing but read. <laughs> Well, I think that is all the questions I have. Monica, do you have any other questions? Well, I actually have one more, but mine's the last question. Um, question. 
No, I don't have any questions. Just lots of praise. Oh, thank you. You're really making my day. My my poor tired brain. You know? <laughs> Agreed. Carmilla is absolutely must reading. Like it, it. Like you just have to read it. It's thank so good. You. Yeah. So you nervous. You know, ass. you turn something in, and you're just like, oh. Is it okay? <laughs> did yeah. I do it? And you did. You nailed it. Nailed it. Oh I absolutely God. love it. So, I absolutely love it. It's so nerve-wracking. So is there anything nerve-wracking coming up for you that you can tell us about? Oh, my gosh. Well, let's see. I'm like, well, the, I I can tell you it's not ner- it, No, you know what? It is nerve-wracking. I, <laughs> I've been working on this for a while now, and it's just so hard. Uh, and I, I do get to be funny, um, but it's so hard um, once again, it's, it is also Asian American. It's, a, uh, it's an API um, history comic that's meant for uh, fifth and sixth graders to teach a little history in an entertaining way. Um, also, in response, what we're finding, of course, is uh, just incredible ignorance about, you know, um, the API history. Um, and I think that's partly what's also behind all this hate. Uh, as if, you know, the outsider thing, right? You know? Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to uh, basically fill in some of the gaps in education about the population of America and how diverse we are and what kind of history we have uh, going back to even the 18th century, right? A- Asians have been in this country for, you know, from the very beginning, even before the com- uh, country was founded, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that there's not a lot of recognition about that. Not just us, of course, right? Um, uh, but so I've been trying to do this in an entertaining way, not like a horror way, <laughs> but an entertaining <laughs> way that's also good for kids. And that is really nerve wracking. So I've been working forever at this, and it's finally done. Um, wow. Yeah, it's finally done. And so it will be distributed. It'll be free. It will be going out to school districts. So um, so that's that's awesome. But boy, I tell you, it's so hard, you know, because the feedback comes back from adults who are like, we don't understand. It's like, yeah, no, but this is for the kids. OK, <laughs> I think they get that. Right. Mm-hmm. The humor has to be really spot on. So that's where mm-hmm. I do get a little funny. Um, but also teaching you know, Filipino history, Southeast Asian history, it's it's a lot. And I got to do this only in like half of what you get in Carmilla, right? (laughs) (laughs) Not a lot of room to be talking about 250 years of history. So, you know, uh, and and also make it entertaining and without lecturing. That's a lot to balance. Yeah, it is. And then, like I said, I've been doing some more Marvel work. So I'm very excited about that. Because I haven't done as much with Mar- I, uh, the um, Avengers, um, Electric Ranges came out. So that's the Korean Avengers in Korea. Uh, delightful. I have not read that yet. I will change that. Yeah. So that was that was also a challenge, uh, especially since I'm not Korean. I'm Chinese. <laughs> I don't know if they knew that, <laughs> but I did it, uh, and it, it worked out. It is it, adapting. Came out in Korea first but really need to be adapted for American audiences. So I looked at it, I was like, oh, yeah, needs to be, needs to be adapted, right? Um, mm-hmm. A lot of Asian um, societies are really kind of, right? Um, the, the portrayal of women in some of these things are like, mm, now nah, we got to fix that. We got to mm-hmm. fix that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so that, I think that worked out really well. And that was fun. You know, the more I do with the digital comics, the more I'm like, okay, this is also, that's hard too, switching from print to digital. 
Mm. You oh, know? yeah. When you're writing a script for print, and then they say, oh, okay, well, we're going to go digital first. I'm like, oh, my gosh, got to change. Got to change it. It's very, very different uh, pacing, very mm-hmm. different amount of dialogue oh. you can fit. Really? You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. So a huge difference. Could think about it. If you read uh, comics on the phone, mm-hmm. it's a very different experience. How much um, mm-hmm. dialogue you can fit naturally on mm-hmm. a screen. Uh, and okay. also the emotion of, right? Even your reveals are different. You're swiping up. Swipe, 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 right? Very different kind of pace. So I'm very excited about the thing I'm doing right now because, oh my gosh, this uh, artist really gets it. Like, mm. So brilliant, so brilliant. I did that with, um, I did a, a Lunar New Year comic, which if you got Marvel Unlimited, I did a Doctor Strange Year of the Wong comic with EJ Sue. And, uh, so much fun. EJ Sue, same thing. Just very dynamic uh I think it was also his first digital comic and he got it pretty quickly, you know, how we needed to sort of tell that story. Mm. So even the art style needs to also change if you want to do something like that. Mm. You know, that was actually, we didn't talk about that, but I, that was something I noticed with House, House of Slave versus Carmilla is those are also the sort of um, scroll format versus yeah. the, the flip format. And that is mm-hmm. what an amazing challenge, but I felt like you used it so well in House of Slay. So, I, I mean, this just makes me more excited to see what, what's coming next. It's still a learning curve. Uh, if you think about it, on your, if you were doing it on your phone, a lot harder to do like a team comic. You know, how you mm-hmm. even get them all on one screen, that'd be very strategic. So, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Amy, if, if people want to learn more about your writing and w- maybe want to follow you on social media, where could they learn more? Well, I used to be on Twitter quite a lot. <laughs> um, I'm still there, but um, uh, I'd say Instagram is a safer bet right now. Amy underscore true. Um, also on Facebook, you know, I try to cater to different demographics. Uh, a lot of my friends are on Facebook, so I'm also on Facebook. There's also a million, by the way, there are a million Amy Chews. It's not like, um, you know, Amy Chew is a really unique name. Um, but I, I am the only Amy Chew in comics. So, um, so I'm on, I, I write comics at Facebook and I've been experimenting with TikTok and I don't hate it as much as I thought oh. it was. So it's kind of fun um, because there's a lot of comics people on there. So I, I no longer dis TikTok. Uh, I just find the algorithm super annoying. But as mm. a content creator, it's actually kind of useful to put out what I think is um, interesting content. And um, I have... I, I'm actually on YouTube, I, and I think this will be the next step. I think I'm going to put some stuff on YouTube because it's less aggravating. TikTok is just all over the place. But I think I'm going to start uh, putting some more, because I'd like to see more people doing what I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. So why not, right? I think I'm going to put some just like free videos on YouTube because all these questions about it's craft. And I think, um, cause you know, I do teach at, uh, SVA, the school of visual mm-hmm. arts and I teach at the Kubert school. I'm like, why not, why don't I just start doing short versions of what I teach for people? So I can see more women in particular, uh, more women of color representing and telling their stories. Um, cause certainly if I do it, I think anyone can do it. So, I love that. You know, and I you can get that. funnier too. Look, right? I never used to be funny. <laughs> I never used to write. I never used to write and I never used to be funny. And now I'm a funny writer. So you can do it. <laughs> there you go. 
Anything is possible. Um, Anything is possible. Well, I, I'm still tripping on you not being funny. That that I can't imagine it. I can't picture it. You know, at some point. Oh, gosh, yeah. You don't want to go in the Wayback Machine and, and, and meet me. I was just such a drag. Right? I was on the chess team. I was so boring. <laughs> chess is cool. Well, it sounds cool, but when you're actually there, it's not because all, all all you're doing is pushing pieces around the board. <laughs> Maybe it's cool to play, but not so cool to be friends with someone who plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so not yeah. a not a good conversationalist. <laughs> That's so funny. Undateable. Undateable. <laughs> Well, Amy, you have been absolutely delightful. I love House of Slay. I love Carmilla. We will add it to the show notes, links to all the fun little social media stuff you just shared. So if listeners, if you didn't have a pen, don't worry about it. You can just hit the three dots next to the title of this episode and all the links will be there. We'll also, of course, link to Monica's social media and my own. So check it out. And uh, Monica, thanks for being here. You're the freaking best. It was so nice to hear your questions. I'm sorry, I stole one. And yeah. I, I love you. Yeah. I yeah. know. Question Repent. stealer. Repent. Uh, Kate, you always make us sound great. And that is why I love you. Actually, I just love you because you're a good person. But I appreciate that you make us sound good. That's pretty dope. Listeners, thanks for joining us. Patrons, we need you. Keep being our patrons. All right. Have a great night, everybody. You're listening to Bitches on Comics, distributed by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Find more shows like Bitches on Comics by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at BitchesOnComics and on Instagram at at BitchesOnComics. Our website is, brace yourself, BitchesOnComics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes. And we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. (laughs) Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support the podcast by joining us on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash queerspec to learn more. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm Essie Fleenor. You can learn more about me at essiefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at se underscore Fleenor. I'm Monica Estrella and you can find me at www.audreysrevenge.com or on Twitter at Audrey Revenge. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization.
Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to season one, we are thrilled to announce the launch of season two. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make season two even more memorable together.